2: inspiring. It's this, this giant, I mean, you, you, you've, you've never seen anything like it to see 110,000 people kind of come in together. I think like I have such uh, memories. We always sit in the same seats and we would walk in and you watch, the, as a kid, I would go down to the, the field and I would high five the players and watch them warm up. See young players like Mark Messner, John saw, Jim Harbaugh when he was just starting out as a young player. Um, I'd watch them play, and then I'd give high fives as they they ran back into the tunnel. You see the student sections fill up, and it's it's really a really an inspiring, beautiful place.
3: You know Jordan Klepper from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. A few years ago, he had his own show on Comedy Central called The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. Now he's launching a new podcast with former Ohio Governor John Kasich. It's called Kasich and Klepper. One of Jordan Klepper's first on air gigs was his role as the comic relief on the Big Ten Network's Friday Night Tailgate show. When he interviewed College Football Hall of Famer Lloyd Carr, he got the Michigan coach to sign a football for his dad. Only one problem he still hasn't been able to give it up. I'm Lechina Robinson. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos Band. And this is Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please welcome Jordan Klepper, Michigan football huge fan. Thank you, uh, Jordan, for joining us on Huge Fan Podcast. You've got some deep roots when it comes to Michigan football. How far back in your family does this love for the Wolverines go?
2: For me, it goes back to the womb, specifically my mother's womb. Uh, but for my family, it goes back farther than that. And like so many Michiganders, uh, nobody in my family remotely came close to going to the actual University of Michigan. Uh, But that didn't matter i think my father was uh taken by a neighbor we grew up in kalamazoo michigan and a neighbor took him to his first michigan football game as a kid and he fell in love with it and in in michigan that became so much part of his identity that he always wanted to go to games and get season tickets and when he finally had the ability to do that as an adult he got season tickets loved the michigan wolverines uh got pregnant with their first child which was me and he asked my mother if they won the Rose Bowl that year, if uh, they could name the child after Michigan's coach, Bo Schembechler. Perhaps, luckily for me, Michigan lost the Rose Bowl that year, the infamous phantom touchdown. Uh, So I was not Bo. The dog was named Bo. I was named Jordan. But from that point, I was going to be a Michigan. Well, then the question becomes, would you
3: ever name your child after Bo Schembechler?
2: (laughs) This was I had my first child this uh, a little over a year ago and I was a giant Desmond Howard fan and had a, uh, a younger brother much younger brother and I wanted my mother to name him Desmond and she said you know what you can name your child Desmond and by the time that came around much love to Desmond Howard but we went a different direction so Bo and Desmond will live on as themselves I don't want to sully their great names uh, or attempt to glom onto it that's not my place.
3: Listen, you sound like you were pretty happy you escaped Bo. I'm sure, you know, the case would be the same, Um, you know, with anyone that thought they wanted to name their children after their sports idol. I've had some thoughts and ideas about Jordan, naming my daughter Jordan. I don't know. It still may stick, but uh, I think you need to take a long, hard think about that before you do it.
2: It's tough. Human beings are three-dimensional. They're full of many different sides. They might be great at sports, heroes in some ways, but are complicated beasts. So putting on a sports star's name onto a young child is a a, a heavy crown. So sometimes it's better just to give them space. And to be fair, Beauchamp Eckler was given the name Glenn. So if you really want it, halfway through your life, go out and grab that nickname, whatever it may be.
3: Absolutely, I agree. They don't need that extra pressure on them. Okay, so when you think about that relationship between your dad and you and Michigan football, what do you remember most about your father? whether, whether it was a player that he was constantly talking about for the program or you know maybe um, some kind of tradition that you guys shared around viewer viewing time of, of those games, like what do you remember most?
2: Well, I was lucky in that my my father started taking me to Michigan games when I was, I believe, six years old, and so I would go to every home game with my dad. And I remember uh, playing football and tailgating beforehand, and getting to meet people, old people who wanted to play football with a young six year old who had a uh, who hadn't hadn't been drinking all day, so it was actually pretty good to play catch with. Uh, and I, I remember sitting in. Uh, sitting in our seats we always sat in the same seats still do to this day uh watching these games and i think he really um he invested this love and this care for this team and i think uh, a memory that i always have uh I, the memories keep growing. I, I have memories. I went to the Ohio State game with my father just this past year, which is one of my all time great Michigan memories. But as as a child, I remember I would save up my money every year. They would do a thing called the Michigan Football Bust, where at the end of the season they would hold like a big dinner where all the players would come on out. Uh, And they would give player awards, Uh, the fans could buy tickets, they would dress up, you would have dinner and you listen to speeches and you get a chance to get autographs. And I thought this was the coolest thing to potentially meet one of your heroes. And so I saved up money all year long to buy the $45 ticket to go to the Michigan football bust, which was in Detroit, which is about two and a half hours away from us. We drove over there. Uh, I wanted to meet my hero at the time. Uh uh and my dad wanted to talk to Bo Schembeckler, and so he got us uh matching bow ties. And so there were bow ties with the name Bo Ooh. on it. And so we both wore bow ties. And I think back to this now as as somebody who is a father. My my father was just this this loving man who was an adult wearing a bow tie with his little son dressed the exact same way. And we were so in awe of that moment and that day and uh, I remember my dad was equally as giddy and wanted to get a picture with Bo Schembechler. And at that point, Bo was eaten. He was on like a, a dais. And so you couldn't quite get up to him. But my dad was like, I'm going to sneak around behind Bo and lean over. You take a picture right when I lean over and it'll look like I met Bo And so I, here I am, an accomplice with my father waiting as this little child. As my dad sneaks up, leans over Bo Beckler. I take a pick, he runs away. I'm like, ah, I got it. I got it. And so I still have this picture and I have the framed bow tie as sort of a moment of of great Michiganderism, but also sort of this loving uh, tribute that my father gave both to the Michigan Wolverines, but also just like his giddy childish joy for this, this team and this guy.
3: What a cool moment. I mean, first and foremost, we've had a lot of people come on this podcast and their experience from childhood is all about the game. Like no one has gotten to go behind the scenes to that, to an annual event and actually meet players and coaches and things like that. But also how about you fulfilling your dad's dream? You know, most of the time it's your parents, like fulfilling the child's dream and here you are making your dad's dream come true. How cool is that?
2: I feel like that's always been such a big part for me with sports, and I've gone through ebbs and flows with my, my fandom, but it, it does boil down to the bonds that you make with the people around you. And like I said, I got to go back this past year after a hell of a pandemic uh, and familiarly, like a lot of people, we lost people in our family, people we loved, people passed away. We didn't get to see other folks. And so, you know, you lose these connections and these bonds. And Michigan happened to have a, a wonderful season full of hope. We haven't had it in a while. And uh, I don't get a chance, I live in New York now, I don't get a chance to get back to games very often, but I try to get back and Michigan plays Ohio State this year, which is obviously the biggest game in any Michigan schedule and the biggest game they've had in a decade happened this year. And so I went back with my father and we got to watch them beat Ohio State, which was like magical for us. And the, you know, there's there's celebrations on the field and like I'm with my father, I'm with my my sister as well and my brother-in-law and my other brother is also over there. Uh, and so we're all kind of there for this big moment. We rush the field, uh, everybody's partying, exploding. And we're like, this is a great Klepper family moment. My dad jumps onto the field, his knees buckle. He does a roll, pops back up. He says, yeah, we go and celebrate. Turns out he breaks his rib jumping onto the field after the Michigan <sighs> OSU game.
3: <So laughs> Holy smoke. He'd want it
2: no other way than to actually break a rib celebrating Michigan being the Ohio State Buckeyes. But it's, it's always kind of meant that to me. It's been a chance to rejoice as a family, also a chance to feel pain as a family. Uh, it's it's a chance to live as a family.
3: Pain is a part of fandom, right? Physical pain, emotional pain from losses. You know, it's, it's all a part of that experience. But I can imagine, I mean, i'm sure there's 30 years 30 plus you look like a very young guy but between your first time going to a michigan game and this recent um you know outing with your family what stands out to you in that you know 30 however many years of what's changed about either the environment there the fans the experience the on-field product like what are the big changes that come to mind if any
2: Well, now that I'm older, I realize these are young people who play this sport. (laughs) I think when I I first got into it, these were men who I assumed were in their fifties or sixties. Now I realize these are, these are college students. So I have much more empathy to the, the struggle of what they're doing. And in fact, uh, nothing but awe for the ability to perform in front of 100,000 people cheering and booing. It's it's an incredible thing to see. So I think I have a little bit more awareness about what that event is. I think it still is, it still is magical to me to walk into a communal place like the Big House and see so many people excited and, and there. But I will say, I grew up with a, a fairly successful Michigan team where the narratives were always never about winning the national championship, but always about winning the Big Ten. And so you always felt like You always felt like a winner who was always on the precipice of being the big winner, but always had the credibility of being sort of a Big Ten champion. And in the last 10, 15 years, a lot of that has fallen away. And you realize that sports is pain and that you need to appreciate the things while you have them, which are successes, because it's a fickle beast. And Michigan fans are fickle fans. We... We expect victories and it's pretty darn hard when you have coaches coming in and out and you have players who, again, are young and trying to figure out how to be successful on this giant stage. And so, so again, I'd like to think I walk into that stadium with a little bit more empathy, um, but also with some humbleness, both my own experience, but more so the program's experience. Uh, it is the winningest program in, in football history, but it hasn't felt that way in a decade. So you learn to savor the moments and the wins more, uh, or at least I'm trying to.
3: I mean, there couldn't be a better word than fickle. Like when you think about the University of Georgia, for example, just winning the national championship, I mean, as successful as they have been traditionally to think that it had been what, four decades since they had won a a championship. it, It just, I can't fathom that of every year having that expectation and decades and decades going by. And
2: I mean, gosh,
3: heartbreaking,
2: right? Sports is pain. I think I talked to my wife who is, is not very into to sports. I try to get her into Michigan football and it's, it's a stretch. The big games happen when it's cold and she's not willing to make the effort. I understand. I respect it. <laughs> uh, but it mostly brings you pain. I think if I could step back and do the math on the amount of time I spent rejoicing victories and the amount of time I spent being angry and in a bad mood because of losses, it's totally outweighing because of losses. Most victories are you, you feel a sense of relief, not a sense of joy. Uh and I think that's a difficulty in sports to constantly feel like a victory is only gonna get you to uh, baseline, whereas a defeat will put you in a funk for a week and a half. So it's it's really it's really it's really not a good thing. I don't I don't advise yeah. anybody yeah. to get into fandom. But if you do, fingers crossed pick a winning team uh, or or at least get perspective and understand that life is failure and maybe you're buddhist about it you know pain is all about it it, it brings you closer to life life is suffering welcome to the big ten
3: well, <laughs> well in that perspective that you're you're talking about is basically that at the end of the year only one team can hoist the trophy so everyone's going to lose right like at, at, at some point everyone is going to lose and the season's going to be over with the exception of one team so your odds aren't great so you mentioned the big house and I didn't realize that it's the largest stadium in the United States in the western hemisphere like I had no clue the third largest in the world um I have been on the campus I'm a basketball analyst so I have you know been in the basketball facilities but what is it like in that arena like does it feel that big? I'm sure you've been in other football stadiums. Like, what? How is it different?
2: I mean, for me, it's 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 awe-inspiring. It's this this giant. I mean, you you've you've never seen anything like it. To see 110,000 people kind of come in together, I think like I have such uh, memories. We always sit in the same seats, and we would walk in and you watch. The, as a kid, I would go down to the the field and I would high-five the players and watch them warm up see young players like mark messner john colesaw jim harbaugh when he was just starting out as a young player um i'd watch them play and then i'd give high fives as they they ran back into the tunnel you see the student sections fill up and it's it's really a really an inspiring beautiful place and i do think having gone to some nfl games and uh getting into nba basketball what i do love is the lack of uh modern conveniences uh, in, in many college football places. I, I, and it's changed. There's there's more of a DJ, more of a soundtrack that's going along with a football game. And there are two giant screens. But I think a place that large, you're still able to sort of just sit in the ambiance of college football, which to me has always been the most powerful, interesting thing. I don't want it to be a, a curated... Uh, experience, uh, yep. yep. <laughs> shock jock uh, yep. radio experience. And I think that's always been that. I, I had the... Uh, I was lucky enough to work for the Big Ten Network for a while and went to all of the Big Ten stadiums. And there are a lot of really fun stadiums. I think the Big Ten is great. I've seen Penn State has a, a wonderful experience, and I was in awe of their whiteouts. I think Iowa has great stadiums, and it feels almost claustrophobic because of uh, how high the... Um, mm-hmm. the, the the rake of the seats are, and I think Michigan has an odd feeling compared to that. It's so much larger than all of the other ones, but it is almost so wide and such a big bowl that a lot of the sound goes up as opposed to in. So it's not the loudest stadium, but it it does feel, it, you know, it feels as close to divinity as I'm gonna get. So I I, <laughs> I try to go there as 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 often as I can.
3: The Big Ten to me, as I've traveled, I've done Pac-12. I'm an ACC girl. You know, I've been to the Big East, the old Big East, which was the better Big East. I've been everywhere in the SEC. Um, and the Big Ten fans, boy, they pack the house. Like, it, I mean, just in general, I mean, the fandom, even with, you know, Maryland, which seems like an awkward fit, like, and their football team's not great. Like, they still have this strong fan base. I feel like every team in the Big Ten has that, which is, you know, makes a lot of fun. Um definitely creates a great environment. Now I do, before we move on to game day and talk a little bit about what that's like for you, I wanted to ask you about your mom's cousin, Tim Allen, Um, (laughs) and give us some some of that backstory. And, you know, did your dad and Tim bond over Michigan football? Like what, what was that experience like?
2: Well, so Tim is my mom's cousin and he was my dad's college roommate at Central Michigan university. So that's actually how my parents met is, my dad was coming home with Tim and got to meet my my mother and Kismet and so Tim has sort of been in our life for a while and is a a football fan we've we've mostly bonded over Detroit Lions games Tim is such a a Lions fan and so for for many a thanksgiving we would get a chance to go on over to the Lions game see Tim watch the Lions repeatedly lose be disappointed in them and that that's where I do think the Lions are sort of it's it's flipped for most places where you know I, I live in the east coast right now and you know you live in new york and everybody's about pro sports all the way they don't even understand college football or most college sports and in michigan it's the complete flip it's it's identity you what what your team is is who you are uh, i was either a michigan fan or a michigan state fan in middle school and that's all you all you had uh, and i feel like the lions are are like our college team in michigan so you get used to defeat when you watch the the lions and you understand that they're not all going to be roses and then you and then you wait for the big game, which is Saturday, for either the Wolverines or the Spartans. So uh, Tim, was, Tim was into Michigan's college team, a.k.a. the Detroit Lions.
3: <laughs> well, and I'm just wondering how he's feeling coming off the, the Stafford win in the Super Bowl. Like, you know, after watching those hard years with him for so many years, I'm sure, like many people, he was like, it's this guy's fault. I don't know if he was saying that or not, but clearly, you know, he was able to go somewhere else and have success. That's got to be a little heartbreaking, I would think.
2: I think you, you, you'd you love for that championship to make its way back to Michigan. Uh, I, I say I'm I'm glad a guy who spent a lot of time in Detroit and then uh, from the, the folks that I've heard, he was, he was a pretty good steward of uh, Detroitness and was yeah. a, a good teammate in Detroit. I'm glad he gets a little bit of a victory. You know, if, yeah. if it's not going to happen in Detroit, at least it could happen to people who lived in Detroit, Detroit. which is... Close enough for now.
3: Well, and me personally, I'm just hoping that the Pistons can make some kind of comeback. You know, I I love the Bill Lambert and Isaiah Thomas days, but unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the team will be relocated before that actually happens, before there's any kind of revival.
2: That'd be, that'd be heartbreaking. I was, that was the team I grew up with. The bad boys were, were so much fun and and so exciting to watch as a, a kid growing up in Michigan. I would, I would love for that, that kind of energy to be brought back.
1: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
4: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise.
3: Let's talk about game day. What is football Saturday like for you in your house? Like superstitions? Do you have to have a spread of food? You like quiet? You like a crowd? Like what, what's the game day like for you? I'll
2: tell you. So when I'm away from home or when I'm at home, when I'm away from Michigan home. So I'm, I'm in New York. And what that means is I find whatever Michiganders are in New York. And the good news is there's a bunch. On good days, we find one of our friends, my buddy Russ Armstrong, Andy Schwenk. Classic Michigan names. You get into their basement. You put on the sweatshirt that you've been carrying with you from place to place, and never
3: washed, right? <laughs> you never wash
2: it. You never wash it. You get there and you try to find where the Michigan game is on, which the last few years hasn't always been the easiest find in New York City. Uh, when I'm back home, it's all about tailgating, and my dad is the the king of the tailgate. We start out in Kalamazoo. Uh, He packs the back of the car. He's done it the night before. He puts the stickers on the car. Uh, He either makes the sandwiches or calls ahead at Panera in Jackson. He's got the whole thing down. You drive an hour and a half. You pull off the Panera in Jackson. You get the Panera. We pull into our parking spot that we've already um, staked out. We have our sandwiches. We play a little bit of catch. Um, we listened to WJR, which has now shifted a couple of the radio stations, but we love listening to the radio all the way up to hear the analysis. We walk around the, the stadium a few times to try to get the vibe of the area, say hi to some old friends. And then the younger me would try to get in early and, and watch the band play, or even before that, watch them practice and warm up. I'd love to get a good program to, to see the team play and then get in your seats before that kickoff and watch them run under the flag.
3: Boy. That is quite a routine. It's,
2: it's you know, 20 years of perfecting, and my I, I give it all over to my dad. He he's done it, and then my my brother's become a double Michigan fan. He actually was the first in the the family to actually go to Michigan, so he's perfected his way in which to work it. So it's sort of it's a machine now in the Klepper family.
3: That is incredible. What an outstanding tradition. And, you know, the thing about tailgates, and you tell me this is true, this is what I've heard. We we weren't a tailgating family. We're, well, yeah, we were a basketball family, which tailgating, as you know, is not as popular in the basketball side, though it's, it's grown over the years and trying to be like football, right? Uh, but from what I understand, like your tailgate spot, like you grow with the people around you. I don't know if you guys have had the same location, but I know for some of my friends, they're like, When we first started tailgating, it was just Amy and John, and then we had kids, and then Amy and John had kids, and then we watched their kids grow up, and we were right next to them for the tailgates, and, you know, everyone shares food, and it's just like this community, right?
2: It's a wonderful thing. I think we've had to bounce around our tailgate spots, but you start to, you know the people who own the houses, and if you've gone to a Michigan game, it's the neighborhood's right next to the stadium. Everybody's parking in the front lawns, and so you know the people who own the house. You, you are in their front yard six times every year. You get to know them, the people who populate that. And this last Ohio State game, we went to, my brother-in-law went to Michigan and we went to his friend's house who I've known his friend for 20 years and they moved back to Michigan. Now they live two, two blocks away from the stadium. And there's, there's 40 people there in the freezing cold, there's babies running around, <laughs> there's barbecues happening, there's a giant snowfall, people are coming and going, people you haven't seen in decades, people who are neighbors, people who are old schoolmates, uh, children who are new to the earth, like they, they find one communal spot and, and it grows, I think I... I, I I miss living back in Michigan and I see those folks who actually live in Ann Arbor or get a chance to be there week in and week out. And it really is sort of a place to check in, celebrate, and then kind of make the pilgrimage into the stadium.
3: Well, and you mentioned the cold, that's the part, like, while All this sounds so fun and sexy. I think we forget how cold it can be during oh. a tailgate, right? Like there's that part too.
2: It's mostly, I, I will say this last one you know you take a few swigs of uh, uh basil hayden to get you warm uh you're good. Y- y- you say hi to folks and it, it was snowing and it is freezing we have like five layers on and i will say at its best it's celebrating with people and telegrading for an hour and a half at its worst which my father and i have done many many times you show up you put an extra layer on and you get in as fast as you can and you keep your feet moving because it's going to be freezing and in michigan you usually get two or three home games that are temperate, and then the rest are, are a real struggle.
3: Ugh. But you are a whiskey guy, so I can appreciate that aspect of it.
2: Whiskey helps. And I will say as a child, not so into whiskey. But <laughs> as an adult, it is, it's really beneficial to the uh, game-watching experience.
3: So explain to me a little bit about the difference of the rivalries between Michigan and Michigan State and Michigan-Ohio State. Because I know they're both pretty pretty heavy. But what is the difference in your eyes?
2: Yeah, if you talk to a Michigan fan, we have about five rivalries yeah. that are the most important rivalries in all of college football. So uh, Michigan-Ohio State, the 10-year war, it goes it goes all the way back. There's always been drama between the state of Michigan and the state of Ohio. Uh, and that drama got bumped up when Woody Hayes, Ohio State's coach, starts playing against his protege, Bo Schembechler, Michigan's coach, and Michigan— overthrows at that point the number 1 in the nation. I think this is the late 60s. Ohio State team and a rivalry is really bored or more so reborn. They have 10 great years of football. I think it goes 5 and 5 back and forth, oftentimes number 1 and number 2 in the nation. And so not only do you have these epic football programs, but you sort of have this Midwestern state rivalry, which again, I do think is a big part of it. I think in the Midwest, that's your team, that's your identity. This isn't just like, oh, they're the they're the lo-. no, these these are these are states at war with one another and it's it's sort of in the blood. And so you're always you're always talking about playing towards that big Ohio State game at the end of the season. Now Michigan State is your your in state rival. And so day in and day out, when I would go to middle school, half my middle school were Michigan fans, half were Michigan State fans. So who won that game would depend on who gets to talk shit to the other folks for the rest of the school year. And so uh, so that is so important. And for so long <laughs> in the football world, Michigan has <laughs> often come out on top, which was tough for those state uh, fans. They've gotten better and better over the years. And it, it really does feel like it's your, your local uh, cross-town rivalry. Uh, then you throw Notre Dame in there, and we've always had yeah. a thing against Notre Dame. Uh, uh, Their South Bend is not very far from Ann Arbor. Sure. And they've always tried to get us early in the season. Big, big-time programs with gosh darn similar uh, fight songs. Michigan's uh, came first. I think they were written by the same person. Michigan's is slightly better. We have better uniforms. They would claim they have a cooler helmet. That's not at all true. (laughs) So like Michigan, again, likes to find iconic rivalries wherever they can. But I still think it probably goes Ohio State, Michigan State, and then Notre Dame for for number three. And then you could fill in a bunch of people after that.
3: Well, and kind of what happens with rivalries is as your team gets better, your rivalry changes, right? So we may have started out with Michigan State geographically, but during those days that they weren't competitive, it's like, okay, so who's next? Okay, let's go after Ohio State. You know, the bar kind of changes and raises depending on maybe where you are and the level of success you're having.
2: It, it definitely does. I mean, you could feel where Michigan had a re- rivalry that has really built up with Penn State, both both like iconic programs that had iconic coaches. Uh, there were some issues there, but also like the feel of Ann Arbor and the feel of Happy Valley were reflective of one another in many ways. and The fan bases felt similar. And so that has built up. And the Ohio State uh, rivalry has really evolved over the last decade in, in an unfortunate way for many Michigan fans in that it seemed to be every year the number one and two teams in the big 10 were michigan ohio state and you never knew who was going to win and then suddenly we've had a bad decade plus and we can't beat them i was on the upside of that for a while michigan fans were and ohio state couldn't get uh, a past michigan and now michigan was in that place and so you know it's frustrating as a fan and i think there's undue pressure put on a michigan team that that win matters more than anything else we've lost coaches because they couldn't make that one win. Jim Harbaugh was on the cutting block for for so long simply because he couldn't win that last game. Even even with a perfect season you lose to Ohio State and you're going to be on the chopping block. And it's it's unfair. I think what we finally got this last season, we've built this narrative based around this this unwinnable last game and to finally get success there, you has to you have to also take the pressure you put on the losses with that game with the exultation that you put on the wins. And so I think that only fed into this narrative and now it's actually, it's, it's more fun. Now you have Ohio state fans who are chomping at the bit and wanting to, to get a victory back. So that's, that's how all, all, all good rivalries rivalries, they, they have to have a little bit of give and take and and hopefully we're, we're back in that zone again with Michigan OSU.
3: To your point with Harbaugh, like I am blown away by the small margin of error that's allowed in college football coaching. Like, I mean, you lose the wrong game on the wrong weekend and it's homecoming yeah. and, you know, whatever the case may be. And, or this is your prime time, you know, ESPN window, whatever importance may be on that particular game. And you can lose your job like easily.
2: I think it's, and I think it's a bummer. I think it's our culture is more fickle than it's ever been. I think I think there are so many variables in college football. You have, uh, it's a sport, so you know you show up one day and one team is uh, more well rested than the other, and that could be that could be it. These are also eighteen to twenty one year olds, and so there's a lot of variation as to what can happen with a team. And I I do reminisce about those coaches who were um, legendary and coach at a school for 20, 30 years. And I think like we might be entering a phase where that that's just, uh, that's a relic. It's, it's so hard to keep that up there. I look at people like Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, and that's a program that, uh, is all is okay with a minor amount of success uh, and and more respective of a culture that yep. Fitzgerald can feed into that culture and I, I I love that it's it's it reminds me of early early Michigan days with uh, significantly fewer losses uh, or fewer wins uh, and but I do look at Harbaugh and I, <laughs> I think if he had left this past season I would have been bummed at Michigan fans because. I, I do think I like him a lot. I wish he yeah. had more success his first few years, but I think he built a good culture. I think he's a good coach and a good fit for that school. And I think Michigan fans want so much out of him that they, they punished him to the point of Michigan almost firing him, to the point of Michigan stripping away benefits and money from him, to the point of pushing him to wanting to check... Yeah. Uh, opportunities elsewhere and I think that comes because you have a fan base that won't let you be human and I, I, I understand where it comes from. I you want perfection, you want wins but I, I think developing a culture and having an understanding that that build the foundation don't keep rebuilding the foundation. I think that makes a, a great team and you're not gonna you're not gonna always get it off of a, a random hire. you're gonna mostly get it from from trusting what you already have.
3: Well, and the grass is just not always greener on the other side, right? Like it seems like the easiest option to change coaches, but there's so much. Having worked in athletics myself, there's so much that goes on with the change of a head coach. I mean, it is—it's a lot. Um, and so sometimes you just have to have to stick through those tough days. Yeah. You mentioned a moment ago um, the fight songs. We talked about your family tradition. Are there any Michigan fan traditions that happen within the scope of a game day? um like any things that you guys do whether it's a chant or you know whatever what have you that that stands out as like a michigan tradition
2: well i think you know we drive up and we're listen to the radio and listen to the victors all the way up there my dad has uh that song queued up to play oftentimes multiple times as we drive on up and so when you get to the stadium uh, it is sort of a classic fight song. So it's always fun to get there early on and hear the band play it and see 100,000 people chant the victors. They also do the alma mater song, which is lovely because you get to see another 100,000 people pretend like they know the lyrics to a song that they don't know. Again, <laughs> I didn't go to Michigan, so I was never taught that song. And I think most people who did were never taught right. either. But to see 100,000 people- No
3: one knows their fight song. No one no, knows no, the words of their fight song, period. <laughs> I, can, I can attest to that.
2: Michigan's fight song is funny, too, because I love it. I've been singing it nonstop since I was six years old. But when you really break it down, it is a silly braggadocio fight song. We are the leaders and the best, the champions of the West, the victors valiant. Like you can't pack in more hyperbolic words that reach towards greatness, which I understand you want that. But I, there is sometimes part of me that In cheering it, I'm like, maybe there's a more humble fight song that we I was
3: gonna say, you need to humble the song, right? Yeah. I don't know. Based on your read for for the podcast, I mean it seems like you guys are just in for pumping it up to the to the highest level. That's what you do. So This is
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's all about Fake it till you make it. You know what? Walk in with that swagger. Michigan swagger, it, it, it takes you uh, quite a ways. And I think also that Michigan's got 100 plus years of, of tradition. And when you have that, there was swagger back when they probably wrote that fight song when there were eight teams playing football. So you could claim with certainty that you were the best in the land because... There were only about sixty other people playing football at the time, and you'd met them all, and and half of them were dying of syphilis. So you were the best in the land. So yeah, I give Michigan some leeway with its braggadocio.
3: Well, I could easily though I'm sure if we went and looked up a fight song from any school, the words "We are the greatest," um, you know, "We're the best," you know, no, you know, all of those lyrics, I'm sure, one hundred percent are in every school's fight song. I mean, it's like mandatory. The greatest that ever, wherever was it's all there
2: every fight song was written by a cocky 12 year old and nobody decided to rewrite it they just were like that's that's good enough that works for us put some brass horns behind it some chants and some fist bumps and we're good for the yeah. next hundred plus years
3: are you gonna bring your kids into this fandom are you already training them
2: I am uh I have a, a little son right now he's got Michigan gear on um, he his sort of his security blanket is a Michigan winter cap that he wears at daycare right now and we were just told that there's uh, a live stream of the daycare occasionally that grandparents could watch. And there is a grandparent who has complained because he's an Ohio state fan and has complained that there's a kid with a Michigan hat running around all day. So already, already <laughs> the drama begins.
3: <laughs> well, before we finish up um, our, our show with my favorite segment, which is called crunch time. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast and some of the work that you're doing right now. Um, in addition to all your work with the daily show and comedy central, you recently, Uh, launched a new podcast and tell us a little bit about it and the concept for the show and and kind of um, what you're excited about.
2: Yeah, I'm doing a new podcast called Kasich and Klepper with former Ohio Governor John Kasich and former presidential candidate John Kasich. Uh, He's from Ohio. I'm from Michigan. There's some rivalries that run deep there. Uh, He was a Republican governor. I am a liberal comedian, so we don't exactly uh match up in a lot of different ways, and that sort of was interesting to both of us. Uh so we decided like, uh let's see if we can find some common ground and talk to some some interesting folks in culture and see if there's um some ways in which to to not look at ways to fight. Again, being being somebody in this political landscape and does a lot of political commentary and satire, uh there's there's this mythical idea that there's common ground out there. And I think You're never going to find it if you're just starting at a place of argument. And so what was really curious about this podcast was I got a chance to meet with somebody who I didn't think I'd have a lot in common with. And the first time we met, we started talking sports. We started talking uh culture, we started talking music. And it was really interesting to be like, if you start from that place of sports, sports is such a beautiful thing because you can be emotional, you can be vulnerable, you can be open and you don't have to put armor up because it's not your entire identity. Politics isn't like that anymore. And so what was amazing about that is like, I can talk to somebody who I might disagree with politically, but if I can respect them because I see their passion about sports, I see their passion about um, music, and we can talk about that, and we can kind of understand each other on that level. Then, when we stumble on things like politics, we have more open ears to to hear them out. And so that was sort of our, our goal in this—to to bring people in, and don't start from a political place. Let's start from a place of passion. So we brought in Bob Costas and talked uh, talked about sports, talked about Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, we bring in musicians like Margo Price, uh, we bring in uh, poets, we bring in uh, some people in the political sphere, but. Uh, all of them are aimed at like let's let's find something we're curious and excited about, and and we'll see if we could find political camaraderie somewhere along the line once we actually understand each other.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World? Like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess, or get goofy officially, step up like a boss and save the day, or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? if you could would you when we come through it's true magic because we came to play bring the magic at walt disney world resort
1: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
4: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day!
3: need quick responses from you this is our rapid fire crunch time segment all right um and i want the first answer that comes to mind and we'll move through this as quickly as possible all right let's do it you can spike the ball in the face of one michigan rival player who would that be
2: (laughs) i'm gonna say ryan day it's our rivals coach but uh Uh, there you go. I'm going to go over to the sideline with OSU. I'm going to spike the ball right in his face. That's what you get. Welcome to Michigan.
3: (laughs) Greatest Michigan player of all time.
2: Desmond Howard, hands down.
3: Can you give me your top five?
2: Okay. Uh, Michigan football player of all time. I'm going to say Desmond Howard, Jim Harbaugh, Chris Hutchinson, Tyrone Wheatley, Mike Hart.
3: Best game time meal, or favorite game time meal.
2: Whiskey. It really takes care of all the food groups uh, and warmth.
3: Everything gets better after that. You can't go to a Wolverines game without what? Uh, you can't say whiskey. It's already, <laughs> it's already taken.
2: A sense of optimism. I think it's it's important to be optimistic that things could turn out, especially these last uh, handful of years.
3: One word to describe your Michigan fandom. Valiant. Ooh, Valiant. We haven't had that one before.
2: Cribbing it from the fight song, but I think it it works.
3: I love it. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate all of your time. You've been great. Let the drama live. It's all part of it. Jordan, thank you so much. It's been awesome to talk to you. We appreciate you coming on. Huge fan.
2: This was great. Thank you for having me on. This was a blast.
3: You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other huge fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. That'll do it for this round of Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. I'm Lachina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budo's Band!